रामकथरसवाहिनी चैप्टर सेवन विश्वामित्र स्पोक जनका द मिशन ऑन विच दीज प्रिंसेस एकम्पनीड मी फ्रॉम अयोध्या वॉज ओवर वेन द यज्ञ आई हैड रिसॉल्ड अपॉन वॉज एकम्प्लिश्ड विदाउट द लीज डेसक्रेशन रामा एंड लक्ष्मणा प्लीडेड फॉर परमिशन टू रिटर्न होम मीन वायल I received your invitation regarding the right that you decided upon. So I asked the boys to accompany me to Mithila. Rama pleaded that since his father had deputed him only for safeguarding the right at my ashram, he was reluctant to proceed further and be away from his father longer than permitted. But I spoke to them of many divine weapons you have, objects that they are naturally eager to see and handle. I described the Shiva bow which you have here and which deserves to be seen by them. I told them the story of that bow. Then they agreed to accompany me here, longing to see it. They have no yearning to go around the city or visit interesting places. Bows, arrows, weapons that can guard the right and punish the wicked, these claim first consideration for their attention. Janaka felt he had no need to hear more. In that case, I will make arrangements to have the bow brought to the Yajna Hall soon, and instructed that the preceptor Satananda be consulted about an auspicious hour for it to be brought here. Meanwhile, Rama asked Janaka, Maharaja, if you can tell us how that divine bow came into your possession, we can derive great joy. Janaka gave the details with evident joy. Darlings, six generations after Nimi, the great ancestor of my dynasty, King Devavrata ruled over this kingdom. The gods placed this bow of Lord Shiva in trust in his palace. It has been with us since then. It's a weapon of the gods, so I assert it is no ordinary bow. It weighs some thousands of tons. No one has held it in the erect position so far, for who can lift that weight? Many times in the past, I tried to discover who could bend the bow and use it or hold it for public gaze. I invited people to try, but I have yet to see one who could do it. Every king and prince who attempted the feat failed and returned humiliated. They couldn't bend the bow or even move it even so slightly. One day, when I was turning the sword on the grounds where I had resolved to perform the yajna, a vessel was revealed in the furrow. When I removed and examined it, I found in it a charming female child. Since the child came to us from the furrow, we named her Sita. We brought her up as our own child. One day, when she was playing with her companions, her toy rolled underneath the long box within which the bow was kept. The more they tried to remove the ball with the help of various contrivances, the farther it rolled under the box. Sita laughed at the discomfiture of her companions and the palace guards. She pushed aside the box with her tender hand and recovered her toy to everyone's astonishment. I heard about this through the queens who came to know of it from the wonderstruck group around her at the time. 
that day i resolved to give sita in marriage to one who proves himself worthy to wed her by stringing that bow many a prince tried to lift and bend it in order to win her but all faced ignominious defeat they felt hurt and insulted they said i had purposely humiliated them in their resentment and despair they grouped their forces and fell upon mithila the siege lasted one full year all my armory was exhausted and i was concerned about the fate of the city i had no other recourse but austerity to win the grace of the gods the gods were pleased they blessed me with traditional reinforcements of infantry cavalry elephantry and chariotry during these campaigns of vindictiveness i was able to preserve the bow i guarded it like the apple of my eye its mysterious might is beyond description rama i won't deny you the fulfillment of your wish if you but agree the bow will be brought to the yajna enclosure i will also announce that anyone who dare lift and bend it can try to do so when janaka spoke so authoritatively rama and lakshmana looked at each other but did not reply for they were waiting for instructions from the master whom they had followed so far just then vishwamitra who knew the brother's skill and strength said that what janaka proposed could be done and that he need not apprehend any obstacle coming his way janaka also announced that he would give sita in marriage to whomsoever lifted the bow and stringed it for he had vowed that sita would be wedded only to such a one vishwamitra approved that procedure too janaka took leave of the sage and returned to the palace he set upon the task of taking the bow into the yajna hall a proclamation was issued to expose the bow to view and it was communicated to as many kings and princes as possible the eight wheeled vehicle containing the box with the bow was pulled and pushed into the enclosure by a large band of hefty heavyweights but they couldn't even move it a step more men of gigantic mould had to be called in to lend a hand dragging the heavy chains attached to the vehicle and pushing it from behind when at last the bow moved into the sacred enclosure the priests recited hymns of auspicious welcome day dawned the nine traditional musical instruments raised a pion of harmony that rose to the worlds of heaven auspiciousness of the day was declared through song and ritual
Emperor Janaka entered the enclosure, accompanied by a group of priests and with attendants carrying materials for the ceremonial worship of the divine bow. Long before that moment, the enclosure was filled with kings, princes, ministers, courtiers, sages and Vedic scholars. When Janaka came in, the entire gathering stood up to honor the ruler of the realm. Vedic pundits declaimed aloud hymns invoking the gods to shower grace. Their voices rose up to heaven in exclamatory unison. Others recited passages from the Vedas. All were so filled with expectancy that they looked on in wonder without even a wink. Janaka walked in reverence around the vehicle with the bow and offered floral homage to it while chants were recited to propitiate it. He bowed before the divine bow and spoke to the distinguished assembly. Prostrations to the sages. I welcome all who have come to this assembly. For many years, my forefathers as well as many other monarchs have been, as you all know, worshipping this divine bow. Besides, it is already well known that no one, be he god or demon, Yaksha, Rakshasa, Garuda, Gandharva or Kinnara has so far been able to lift the bow, hold it and string it. All who attempted have turned back humiliated. In spite of this, this day, I have again resolved to bring the bow into the sacred enclosure. Whoever among you lifts this bow, or lifting, strings it, or stringing it, fixes an arrow onto it, or even who can hold the weight of the bow in his hands, can come forward and take this chance. The bow is before you. Janaka bowed before the gathering with his palms folded and sat on the lion throne. Vishwamitra cast a glance with a smile at Rama. Rama quickly approached the vehicle and lifted up the iron cover with his left arm. With his right hand, he raised the bow from its box with no concern or exertion. Holding the bow erect, he looked around while amazement was on every face. The thousands who witnessed the wonder, citizens, kings, princes, sages and elders raised such an applause that the sky echoed the exultation. Soon, Rama strung the magnificent bow. With delightful ease, he fixed an arrow. He drew the string back up to the ear in order to release it. But the bow snapped. Everyone was shocked into confusion and fear by the strange unexpected explosion. Many fainted, some cried out in terror, some fled in panic. The sages uttered prayers to God. Why dilate further? Except for Janaka, Vishwamitra, Rama and Lakshmana, everyone was plunged into inexplicable, inconsolable dread. Janaka rose from his seat 
fell prostrate before Vishwamitra and said, Master, no one on earth can claim greater strength than Rama. Such strength is not on the earth. I will fulfill my word. I will give Sita in marriage to him who lifted bent and broke this bow. Vishwamitra replied, Janaka, it would be good to send this news to Emperor Dasharatha and celebrate this auspicious event after he comes. This is my desire. Rama is such a deeply dutiful son that he would not agree to the marriage until Dasharatha gave his approval. So, Janaka called the Brahmins of the court to his presence along with some ministers. He sent them on the journey to Ayodhya as soon as day dawned. They sped on in their chariots drawn by swift horses for three days and nights and reached Ayodhya on the morning of the fourth day. They halted the chariots right before the main entrance of the imperial palace so that there could be no delay in taking the news they had brought to the emperor. When the guards asked their names and purpose, the ministers asked them to announce their arrival to the emperor. They informed Dasharatha and the ministers were immediately called into the palace and the presence. In spite of old age, Dasharatha was a divinely splendorous figure when the Brahmins and ministers of Mithila saw him on his throne. When they stood before that bright, venerable face, they fell at his feet without any hesitation or reservation. They stood up and said, Maharaja, we are messengers from Emperor Janaka of Mithila. He commissioned us to enquire and learn from you about your welfare and the welfare of your realm. We have been sent with the approval of sage Vishwamitra and with the consent of the royal preceptor, the great Satananda, by Maharaja Janaka to communicate to you an important message. Dasharatha's face was brightened by smiles. His assurance was unshakable. He was struck by the humility and good manners of the envoys from Mithila. He said, O greatest among Brahmins, O ministers of the Mithila court, there is no deficiency in the administration of the kingdom of Ayodhya, no obstruction anywhere for rituals like the oblation to Agni, no diminution in the happiness of any of my subjects, no obstacle from any quarter to the path of their moral and spiritual advance. My subjects are prosperous, they are progressing steadily towards the highest goal. I am glad to tell you this. I wish to know about Janaka's health and welfare, the emperor of Mithila, about the uninterrupted performance in his kingdom of the religious rites prescribed in the Vedas. You can communicate your message to me without any reservation. I am eager to hear it. When Dasharatha granted permission so softly and sweetly, the ministers signed to the Brahmins to speak. The chief priest rose from his seat and delivered the message. Great sovereign ruler, our Maharaja Janaka has vowed that his daughter, the goddess Sita, would be given in marriage only to heroic might. No doubt you are aware of this 
and you might also know that many princes have tried to prove their prowess and were humiliated by divine will your two sons rama and lakshmana accompanied the sage vishwamitra eager to see the great yajna that our maharaja is celebrating and your eldest son rama won the goddess sita by means of his incomparable valor maharaja what shall i say how shall we describe it in full view of the distinguished gathering of sages kings and princes rama who has attained the highest pinnacle of valor lifted and held shiva's bow by its middle kept it erect and stringed it more than this he broke the indomitable sacred bow as if in play into two pieces since sita is to be given in marriage to him who lifts shiva's bow the sages who had assembled as well as our maharaja have decided to give her hand to rama we have been sent to request and receive your assent to offer your cordial welcome to invite you with the preceptor priests ministers courtiers kith and kin and attendants and followers to the city of mithila our maharaja desires to celebrate his daughter's marriage after receiving your presence we were sent by him to inform you of this the priests and ministers stood with folded hands reverentially awaiting dasharatha's reply but dasharatha thought it over with earnest care and sent for the sages vasishta vamadeva and others for consultations before speaking a word in reply he also invited the foremost among the brahmins of the court when they all arrived he asked the party from mithila to repeat their message when they had listened to the news dasharatha wanted their comments but first he fell prostrate before sage vasishta and prayed for his approval vasishta vamadeva and others responded with joyous exclamations jay jay they said why spend further thought on this make preparations to go to mithila the ministers jumped in joy news of rama's wedding spread in a trice all over the city and into the inner apartments of the palace where the queens were the citizens raised exclamations of jay jay in their exultation attendants and servants quickly made preparations for the journey jewels silk brocades and other gifts were packed in large quantities and varieties countless chariots were loaded with them the emperor and the imperial escort royal preceptor vasishta the chief priests and other brahmins and pandits ascended the chariot and took their seats it was as if ayodhya itself was moving to mithila to witness the marriage for all who longed to join dasharatha made suitable arrangements no one eager to go was left behind even the horses seemed to share the joy that filled the hearts of the inmates of the chariots for they trotted fast without slackening speed or showing signs of exhaustion two nights and two days they spent on the road and the third night 
der Riecht Mittela. Maharaja Janaka welcomed the Emperor Dasharatha at the very entrance gate of his city. He welcomed the ministers, sages and priests as befitted their position and status. He arranged for them to rest for the night in allotted residences. As soon as day dawned, Dasharatha sent for the priests who specialized in ritual lore, the queens and the kinsmen and alerted them to be ready and available the moment they were wanted. Meanwhile, Janaka arrived at the mansion where Dasharatha was and took him to the special enclosure where the rite was being celebrated. Seats had been allotted there for the preceptors, the emperor and his entourage according to their rank and authority. When all had occupied their seats, Janaka welcomed Dasharatha. You are coming to Mithila with these great sages, these foremost brahmins and your kinsmen and escort augurs great good fortune for us. It marks the fruition of the good we have done in our past lives. I am sure great joy has filled your mind at the valor and victory of your son. I am about to enter into relationship with the great Raghu dynasty, resplendent with the boundless heroism of its science. My dynasty is about to be sanctified more than ever before by this kinship. I believe this is a result of the blessings showered on me by my forefathers. Maharaja, this morning, the sacrificial rite we have been celebrating is coming to a close. I have thought of celebrating the marriage of Sita and Rama after its conclusion. I plead for your assent. Dasharatha was thrilled with bliss. His face was lit by bright smiles. He said, Maharaja, you are the donor. Elders declare that a gift is to be received at the sweet will and pleasure of the donor. So I am ever prepared to take the gift whenever it pleases you. When Dasharatha spoke with such wit and wisdom, with such heart-melting warmth of affection, Chanaka was overwhelmed with spiritual bliss surging within him. By then, Rama and Lakshmana had entered the enclosure with sage Vishwamitra. They prostrated before their father and their preceptors, Vasishta, Vamadeva and others. Dasharatha's eyes glistened with delight as they fell upon the sons he had missed so long. He drew them to himself. He placed his hands on their shoulders and pressed them to his bosom. Seeing the father's bliss while fondling his sons, the Brahmins and ministers forgot themselves in appreciation of the depth of his affection. They were lost in admiration. Dasharatha conversed intimately with his sons and listened to their sweet simple descriptions of the rite they had guarded from desecration by demonic forces. They told him the incidents of the journey from Vishwamitra's hermitage to Mithila. The narrative was heard also by Vasishta, Vamadeva and other sages as well as by Bharata, Shatrugna, Sumantra and many ministers, courtiers and nobles. They spent the night recapitulating the wonder and mystery that formed the warp and woof of that narrative. Meanwhile, Janaka was immersed in preparations for the wedding. 
He was mostly in the palace itself. He invited the chief priest Satananda to the court and prayed to him reverentially to start collecting men and materials for the various rites preliminary to the actual wedding rite. The sage replied, Maharaja, the rite concluded just today. During the next two or three days, there are a few hours that are auspicious for the ceremonials. I can give details if you want to know. Janaka saluted Satananda and, standing with folded hands, said, Master, I received Emperor Dasharada's ascent last night. This is indeed a sign of extreme good fortune. My younger brother, Kushadwaja, is not presently here. He has been very busy supplying provisions for the sacrificial yajna as and when the high priests asked for them. I am reluctant to celebrate this most auspicious ceremony without his presence at my side. I don't want to deprive him of this share of joy. I have set a food plans to get him here quickly. I feel it would be best if we fix the day and hour after his arrival. Satananda replied, Good, that would make us all happy beyond calculation. And he left the palace. Janaka sent messengers with instructions to bring his brother to Mithila with expedition. They found him in his capital city, Sankasya, for they were taken there by fleet-footed horses, which sped faster than others. They reported to him the developments at Mithila. Kushadwaja was overcome with the flood of spiritual bliss that surged through him. He collected his kith and kin as well as his entourage in great haste. He had chariots loaded with gifts and presents, offerings and precious materials. He started off that very night and quickly reached Mithila. Janaka hastened to meet him, for he was counting the minutes that were hurrying by. He clasped his brother in fond embrace and was filled with inexpressible delight. Kushadwaja fell at his elder brother's feet and prostrated before Satananda. Then, all three sat on raised seats and deliberated on the course of action. After deciding on what had to be done, they sent for the highly respected elder statesman Sudama and told him, Minister of State, please go to Dasharatha and pray to him to come here, to this palace, with ministers, priests, courtiers, kinsmen and others he would like to bring with him. Bring him with due honors. Sudama took with him a group of courtiers, scholars and royal priests. He got tastefully decorated chariots ready to bring the imperial party and reach the palace where Dasharatha was staying. He submitted sweetly and softly to him the message he had brought and, with profound obeisance, invited him to Janaka's palace. Dasharatha was ready. He moved out with his entourage and reached Janaka's court hall very soon. They greeted each other as befitted the occasion and the respective status and occupied the seats laid for them. Then Dasharatha rose and said, Janaka, for the Ikshwaku dynasty, the sage Vasishta is God on earth. He is our supreme preceptor. He can speak with full authority on the traditions of our dynasty. Dasharatha sat down and Vasishta stood before the assembly and spoke. 
Listen all those who have assembled. Brahma, the unmanifested supreme, the eternal, the pure, created Marichi through the exercise of will. Marichi's son was Kashyapa, whose son was Surya. Surya's son was Manu. Manu had a son named Vaivasvata Manu. He ruled over the people and earned the appellation Prajapati. A son Ikshvaku was born to him, who was the first overlord of Ayodhya. So the dynasty itself came to be called the Ikshvaku line. Ikshvaku's son was Kukshi. Kukshi's son was Vikukshi. His son was Bana, and Bana's son was Anaranya. Anaranya had a son named Trishanku, and Trishanku's son was Dundumara. Dundumara's son was Yuvanaswa. Mandata was the son of Yuvanaswa, and his son Susandhi had two sons, Devasandhi and Prasenajit. The famous Bharata was the son of Devasandhi. Bharata's son was Asita. When Asita ruled the king, a coalition of Haihayas, Talajangas, and Sasibindu invaded the realm, and Asita had to flee to the Himalayan region with his two queens. He took refuge in the region called. Brigu Prasravana, and after a few years passed away there. Both his queens were pregnant when he died. They sought asylum in Chavana's hermitage, who was filled with compassion at their plight. He consoled them, saying, "Mothers, don't entertain any fear. This is your home. You will have safe delivery here, and strong, splendor-filled, fortunate babies." His blessing came true. Within a few days, the elder queen delivered a son named Sagara, who was installed as the emperor of Ayodhya. Sagara's son was Aswamanja, whose son was Amshumanta. Amshumanta's son was Dilipa, and his son was Bhagiratha. Bhagiratha begot Kakutha. Kakutha's son was Raghu, and Raghu's son was Pravardha. Pravardha had Sudarshana as son. And Sudarshana Agnivarna, Sigaraga was Agnivarna's son, and Sigaraga's son was Maru. After him, the throne came from father to son, to Prasastroka, Ambarisha, and Nahusha in succession. Nahusha's son was Yayati, and Yayati's son was Nabaka. Nabaka had Aja as his son. Dasharatha is the eldest son of Aja, and his four sons, each a precious jewel. Or Rama, Lakshmana, Bharata, and Shatrughna. Rama, the eldest of the four, raised, bent, strung, and broke the bow of Shiva. O royal sage, this royal dynasty is sacred and pure. Everyone born in this line has earned spiritual illumination and has shone in spiritual splendor. They are rooted in righteousness and are in the front rank of heroes. Rama, Lakshmana, Bharata, and Shatrughna are precious lambs that tread lustre on the annals of the clan. I suggest that it would be desirable to have this auspicious marriage ceremony celebrated for Lakshmana also, for he is the reflection of Rama. Your daughter Urmila can well shine as Lakshmana's spouse. Don't hesitate. Resolve accordingly and make the necessary preparations. Vasishta blessed the gathering and resumed his seat. After listening to the narrative of the Ikshvaku dynasty from the lips of the great sage Vasishta, 
Janaka rose from his throne and said, O great sage, when the scion of a noble clan intends to gift his daughter in marriage, he has to announce the historic glory of his clan, doesn't he? I have resolved to follow your example and recite the story myself, for it gives me great joy to recapitulate the names of my forefathers and recall their majesty. My birth with this body happened through the blessings of forefathers of this dynasty. It will be justified and its purpose fulfilled only if I describe them myself in this vast gathering. Janaka stood prayerfully before all. Vasishta agreed with the request and gave the permission. Janaka then began the narration. Great sage, revered preceptors and Maharaja Dasharatha. In the very distant past, an emperor named Nimi adhered firmly to the path of righteousness and was therefore famous for mighty and foresight. His son Mithi built the city Mithila to serve as the capital for this kingdom. He was the first sovereign of this region. His reign was very popular and his subjects were happy and prosperous. Mithi's son Sudavasu had a son Nandivardhana who ruled after him. Nandivardhana's son was Suketu and Suketu's son was Devaratha. Brihadratha was Devaratha's son and Mahavira was Brihadratha's son. Mahavira had vast prowess as his name indicates. His son Sudriti had a son Drishtaketu. Drishtaketu's celebrated son was Hariyaswa. Hariyaswa had a son Maru. Maru's son was Pratindaka. Pratindaka's son was Kirtiratha and Kirtiratha's son was Devamedha. Devameda's son was Vibuddha. Vibuddha's son was Kirtiratha. Kirtiratha's son was Mahorama and Mahorama's son was Rishyarupa. He was a talented ruler, a strict adherent of Dharma. He was acclaimed as a great soul, a Mahatma. Rishyarupa is my father. I am indeed very happy to acknowledge that my father was an ideal personage. The truth is that I now rule happily over this city Mithila as a result of the merit acquired and handed down as hermitage by my forefathers. My brother Kushadwaja is much more to me than a brother. I revere him as a divine personality. He is more of a friend to me than a brother. I brought him up with such love and affection that I have developed great attachment to him. Years ago, when the king of Sankasya demanded that I yield the Shiva's bow to him or else meet him in battle, I refused and he laid siege to Mithila city. This was a signal for a bitter war between us, during which Sudanwa was killed and I made my brother the ruler of Sankasya. That city shines on the banks of the Ikshumati river. Seen from afar, it reminds one of the famous celestial chariot of the gods. Let me tell you all of another auspicious idea that the gods have inspired in me. I have brought him here today so that he might share in the joy of the wedding celebrations. Brahmarshi, you commanded that Rama wed Sita and Lakshmana wed Urmila, my other daughter. I accept the command with immeasurable joy. Sita is a celestial damsel and she will wed Rama as the hero's gift. 
and I bow my head in all humility and gladness and give Urmila to Lakshmana. I have another representation to make for your consideration. Maharaja Dasharatha, you have four sons, all born of the same heavenly gift of grace. Why allow two to remain single? It will contribute to our happiness fully if they too are wedded. Today is the asterism of Magha. This is a good day to commence the rites and have the preliminary ceremonials. The day after, under the asterism Uttara Faguna, I seek your assent to gift in marriage my brother's two daughters, Mandavi to Bharata and Shrutakirti to Shatrugna. At this, everyone in the huge gathering acclaimed the proposal exclaiming, Most welcome, Shubham! This applause rent the sky. Upon Emperor Janaka's suggestion of the marriages of Bharata and Shatrugna, the sages Vasishta, Vamadeva, Vishwamitra and others deliberated among themselves. Dasharatha was easily persuaded to assent and they informed Janaka. O King, the two royal clans, the Ikshvaku and the Videha, are filled with holy traditions, the sanctity of which is beyond measurement. The greatness of these two dynasties cannot be measured and described by anyone, however learned or proficient. Dynasties of this status, or any that can be pronounced equal to them in nobility, have not appeared on earth before. It is indeed a very auspicious event that these two are now brought together by these bonds of marriage. This is highly appropriate, laudable and holy. In addition, we are glad that the brides and grooms are fit in every way for each other. Janaka, your brother Kushadwaja knows and practices dharma. It is really good that he too should become related to Dasharatha through the marital bond of his daughters. It is a source of immense joy. Hence, we are ready to bless the marriages of his daughters Mandavi and Shrutakirti with Bharata and Shatrugna. Our wish is that these royal dynasties be bound close by these marriages. Janaka and Kushadwaja fell prostrate before the sages, overcome with delight at their wish being fulfilled. This is no ordinary event. How fortunate we are to have been blessed with this consummation. How lucky that the sages agreed to this proposal and eased the path. Sages never encourage inauspicious happenings. We will reverentially obey all your commands, they said. Vasishta then said, why should we postpone these two weddings to the day after or some later day? Tomorrow is auspicious for all. It will be very good if all four weddings are celebrated on the same day. Janaka replied, I am blessed indeed. Worthy preceptor, Emperor Dasharatha has long been your disciple, executing whatever you commanded. From this day, we brothers are also your disciples. All our burdens are on your shoulders. Direct us how to proceed and how to act. We will follow unquestioningly. They stood, awaiting his reply with hands folded in utter humility and reverence. Dasharatha rose and said, The virtues I find in you two cannot be described in words. You have made excellent arrangements for the stay and reception of such a magnificent array of Maharajas and great sages as well as the vast mass of people who have thronged this city. 
I'll go back to my residence now and carry on the rites of prosperity and completion of studenthood with full concordance with Vedic prescription. The brothers honored him duly as he emerged from the hall and took leave of him at the main entrance as befitted his status. They then went to their own palaces to fulfill their assignments. Dasharatha performed the prosperity rite. Very early in the day he made all four sons perform the completion of studenthood rite. He fixed golden ornaments on the horns of cows selected to be given away to pious Brahmins along with costly vessels for milking them. It was a feast for the eye. The scene of the boys giving the cows away. The citizens of Mithila felt as if the deities of the four quarters were before them with Brahma in their midst. The four sons around Dasharatha appeared thus to them. While this gift was going on, Yudajit, the prince of Kekaya, the brother of Queen Kekai, his father yearned to have his grandson Bharata with him for some time, so he had hurried to Ayodhya, but he learned there that the royal family had left for Mithila for Rama's marriage. His father, he said, had no knowledge of Rama's wedding. He also had no idea that it was happening. He had come to Mithila to witness the marriage and to communicate the grandfather's desire to have the grandson with him for some time. Dasharatha was glad he could come. That night, Dasharatha spoke endearingly to his sons and others on a variety of pleasant topics. No one in the camp slept. Everyone was impatiently awaiting the dawn of the happy day, when each one could witness the wedding ceremony of their dear princess. Each was overwhelmed with joy as if his own son was the bridegroom or his own child the bride. Their spiritual bliss can be compared only to the bliss of realizing Brahman. That was the measure of their love towards Rama and his brothers. Early in the morning, Janaka proceeded to the special dance on which the rituals of the wedding were to be gone through, accompanied by a highly spiritual splendor-showering group of sages. He completed the preliminary rites and was awaiting the arrival of the bridegrooms and their parents and kinsmen. Rama, Lakshmana, Bharata and Shatrugna had their ceremonial baths. They wore yellow silken dresses and had silk cloth wound around their heads. They were bedecked with many ornaments studded with diamonds and sapphires and gave the impression that they were alluring heart-captivating gods come down from heaven. The auspicious hour, named Victory, drew near, and they approached it as preceded by musicians whose instruments struck up a melody that reached the dome of heaven. The counselors of the court, the feeder tree rulers, and their attendants followed them, carrying huge plates of jewels, silk cloths, gold coins, and other auspicious articles essential for the ceremony. The populace gazed upon their beauty and prowess without even blinking an eye. They confided to each other that the dignity of their bearing marked them out as divine and not human at all. What charm! What a surge of beauty! They are denizens of heaven come down on earth. They whispered among themselves as the bridegrooms passed between the thick rows of onlookers. Women swore they had never cast eyes on such charming princes. Every window and terrace 
was packed to overflowing. At last, the princess raised the dais and sat down. Janaka and Kushadwaja brought their daughters to the dais. They had been given ceremonial baths and had been elaborately and beautifully decorated as befitted brides on the wedding day. They wore veils and followed their fathers with thousands of maids following them, carrying fruits and flowers, heaps of red and yellow cosmetic fragments, rice grains, jewels and gems. It seemed as if the treasures of Mithila were flowing in a full scintillating stream in the wake of the wedding. The four brides shone like magnificent lamps. They sat face to face, Rama, Lakshmana, Bharata and Shatrughna on one side and Sita, Urmila, Mandavi and Shrutakirti opposite them. A velvet cloth was held as a screen between. The residents and nobles of Ayodhya sat behind Dasharatha and the residents of Mithila and those invited for the wedding ceremony by Janaka sat behind him on the elevated dais. The eyes of all were drawn by the elaborate, artistic and rich decorations that distinguished the marriage Shamiana. It was all gold, silver and flower and silk and velvet, festoons and flags, candelabras and columns, arches and finials. One could not take an eye off any of these once it drew one's attention. The vast area was filled to overflowing with kinsmen and well-wishers. It looked as if Mithila itself was experiencing the thrill of the wedding and enjoying the celebrations as if they were her own. Soon, Dasharatha rose and politely reminded the preceptor Vasishta, Why should we delay? Hearing this, Janaka stood before Vasishta with folded arms, praying for him to officiate at the ceremony. Vasishta agreed, and with Vishwamitra and Satananda accompanying him, he lit the sacrificial fire in the center of the dais, while Vedic scholars and experts in Vedic recitation raised their voices and repeated hymns appropriate for the auspicious ceremony. They arranged around the altar of fire golden plates decorated with flowers and sandal paste, and full of tender sprouts of nine species of grains. There were also incense burners, sacred spoons for offering oblations in the holy flames, golden water pots, cups and other such articles essential for the rite. They spread the holy kusa grass thick on the floor so that it lay as level and as smooth as laid down in the text. Then they began to pour oblations into the fire while reciting the hymns that assure happiness and prosperity to the brides and bridegrooms. Every rite was gone through with meticulous accuracy and correctitude. The initiatory treads were tied on the wrists of the princes and princesses. The next rite was the rite of gifting the brides. Vasishta asked Janaka to come forward. He came near the sacred fire enclosure dressed in regal splendor and wearing all regal jewels. As directed by the sage, he held Sita's hands and placed them in Rama's outstretched palms. Coconut, symbolizing prosperity, had already been placed in Rama's palms and after Sita's hands rested on it, milk was poured on the hands by Janaka as part of the ceremony of gifting. Janaka spoke these words, Rama, 
Here is Sita, my daughter. She will tread your dharmic path from now on. Accept her. She brings prosperity, peace and joy. Hold her hand with yours. She is highly virtuous and true. From this moment, she will follow you like your shadow forever. With these words, he poured water on Rama's hands to set the seal on the gift. Then he came near Lakshmana. Lakshmana, I give you this bride, Urmila. Accept her. With the prescribed mantras, he completed the ceremony of gifting her to the bridegroom. Similarly, he approached Bharata and pronouncing the Vedic mantras traditionally used for the wedding, gifted Mandavi to him as his bride. In the same manner, Shrutakirti was gifted by him to Shatrugna with a pouring of holy water and Vedic recitation. After this, scholars well versed in Vedic lore completed the customary rites and rituals for drawing upon wedded couples the grace of the gods. Then Janaka rose and standing in the center of the dais announced to the bridegrooms, Darlings, our daughters are to be installed as mistresses of your households. Auspicious moment has come. As soon as he said this, with the blessings and approval of Vishwamitra, the four brothers each held his bride by the hand and circumambulated first the sacred fire and then Janaka and Vasishta the preceptor and prostrated before them. While they were doing so, showers of flower fell upon them. Joyous music rose from a galaxy of instruments. The distinguished gathering acclaimed the moment and scattered rice grains on their heads, wishing them all the best in life. The jubilation with which they cheered, Jai, Jai, shook the sky and filled all ears with delight. The gods played divine music in heaven. Drums were beaten in ecstatic exultation and minstrels of heaven sang hallelujahs. On the dais, court musicians sang the traditional wedding songs describing the splendor of the marriage ceremony, extolling it as on a par with the marriage of Lord Shiva and Gauri. They sang it in a rich variety of ragas and melodies, filling the atmosphere with vibrations of delight. The four brothers and their brides stood on the dais facing the vast gathering, bowed in acknowledgement of their cheers and greetings. May you be happy forever. May everything auspicious be added unto you. The brothers, resplendent in their youth, heroism and beauty, went with their brides into enclosures behind the curtains from where their mothers were watching the ceremony in order to prostrate before them and be blessed by them. Then they returned to the palace allotted for the stay of the royal party. From that day, for three days, the populace witnessed a magnificent variety of ceremony and festival packed with joy and jubilee. The people of Ayodhya who had come to Mithila as well as the inhabitants of Mithila itself could not distinguish night from day. It was festivity without intermission. The day after the wedding, Vishwamitra went to Dasharatha and told him that the mission upon which he had resolved had been fulfilled. He called the brothers close to him, fondled them very affectionately and blessed them profusely. 
Returning to Dasharatha, he expressed his intention to proceed to the Himalayan regions. At this, Rama, Lakshmana, Bharata and Chatrugna fell at Sage's feet. Vishwamitra then went to the palace of Janaka and told him also that his desire had fructified triumphantly. He blessed Janaka and the brides, Sita, Urmila, Mandavi and Trutakirti and also announced that he was proceeding to the Himalayas. Dasharatha and Janaka and many others of Ayodhya and Mithila were in a fix. They could neither let the sage depart nor persuade him to stay. At last, they laid their load of gratitude at his feet and took the dust of his feet when he left, blessing everyone. The third day, when Dasharatha expressed his desire to leave for Ayodhya, Janaka did not interpose any obstacle but made all arrangements for the departure. He gathered the courtiers and attendant maids that were to accompany the brides. He collected and filled many chariots with the articles they had to take with them. He gave as presents large numbers of elephants, chariots, horses and cows. He presented to the sons-in-law jewels and precious gems in plenty, as well as a vast variety of priceless gifts that could be used in daily life. With the dawn of the next day, the caparison chariots were ready for the journey. The women of the court were in tears. Indeed, to speak the truth, all the women of the city were weeping at the departure of the four dear princesses. Unable to bear the pangs of separation from Sita and Urmila, many nurses and maids broke down with grief. The mothers held the hands of the sons-in-law and prayed to them to treat their daughters gently with affection. They know no hardship or sorrow. They have grown up soft and tender. They pleaded in pathetic appeal. They wept as if they were losing their very eyes. At last, they ascended the chariots and moved off. The city was filled with gloom, as much gloom as the ecstasy with which it was filled for the three previous days. Janaka found it hard to take leave of Sita and tried his best to curb the flow of tears. He accompanied Emperor Dasharatha for some distance, describing Sita's virtues to him and pleading with him to treat her with loving tenderness. With tears in his eyes, he prayed that he may be informed frequently of her welfare and happiness. He also spoke of the other brides and evinced great anxiety on their behalf. Dasharatha responded most sympathetically and spoke soothingly, trying his best to allay the agitation of his mind. Janaka, we have no daughters of our own, so these are the daughters whom we long to fondle for so long. They are both daughters and daughters-in-law for us. There will not be anything wanting for them. All things necessary for their joy and happiness will be provided. Do not worry or grieve in the least. Return fully assured of our love and affection for them. Dasharatha ordered his chariot to halt. Janaka alighted from the chariot and approached the brides who were seated with the bridegrooms. He consoled them in various ways to bear the pang of separation from the home 
where they had been read so lovingly. He imparted courage and quoted many dharmic texts that enjoin loyalty to the husband and the husband's kith and kin. He reminded them how to treat the servants of the households they were entering. He accepted their respectful prostrations and caressed them once again and blessed them. When he turned his back on them to return to Mithila, he burst into sobs. Nevertheless, he ascended his chariot and moved towards home. The chariots sped towards Ayodhya and Mithila and very soon they were miles apart. When Janaka reached Mithila, the apartments of the palace were empty with no signs of life, no shine of joy, no sound of elation. He could not be there for even an instant. Mithila was a city of grief. Janaka sent for Sage Satananda and the ministers and in order to free his mind a little from the upsurge of sorrow had a number of items of business discussed and settled with them. In the midst of the discussions his mind would wander into sadness again and he would give replies unrelated to the problems raised. One minister said, O king, the separation from Sita seems to have caused great grief in your heart. No father can escape this separation and this grief. Once she is gifted to the bridegroom, the father's duty is to reduce the attachment gradually. This is not unknown to your majesty. And we know that Sita is no ordinary maiden, but a divine angel. So, separation from her must cause you great agony. O king, the daughters are divine, and the sons-in-law also have divine splendor. They appear to have descended from heaven. In Mithila, everyone, young and old, had that feeling and that reverence towards them. It is really a wondrous coincidence that such bridegrooms have been wedded to such brides, worthy in every way, in physical, mental, intellectual and spiritual characteristics, in status, wealth, power, family honor, dynasty sanctity and religious faith. This cannot happen to all. Therefore, the daughters will have happiness without the least diminution. Their lives will be filled with greater and greater joy as the years roll by. The ministers recall the grandeur of the marriage celebrations and calm the agitated mind of Chanaka. They engage themselves in consoling him and restoring his equanimity and mental peace. End of chapter 7 Sairam Let's